This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. Would you take God's word and go with me to the gospel according to Mark? Chapter number 9, Mark chapter number 9, we'll begin reading in just a moment in verse number 30, Mark chapter number 9, and we'll begin reading in verse number 30. As we come to Mark chapter number 9, we've seen this chapter open with the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus Christ. He revealed his glory Uh, to his disciples, Peter, James, and John. They will testify of this after his resurrection according to his commandment. And we find that as Jesus unveiled his glory, there was a voice that came from the cloud, the voice of the Father, which said, this is my beloved Son, hear him. And here we find that it is our responsibility to hear the message of the glorified Savior. That message is delivered to us through the Word of God, the Bible, And I trust that you hold a copy of that in your hands this morning. If you do not have a Bible, you'll find one there uh, in the chairs. In the bottom, there's a rack there, and you'll find one uh, uh, mixed with the songbooks. And so I hope that you'll take God's Word and go with us today to the Gospel according to Mark in the ninth chapter. After Jesus and his disciples come off the mountain... They find a man who's brought his son who is possessed with the devil. And this man has brought his son there in hopes that his son would be delivered. And the disciples who were there, uh, excluding Peter, James, and John, who had been with Jesus on the mountain, those disciples were not able to cast out the devil. And we find that the Lord Jesus did cast him out. And he taught a great lesson about faithlessness and our need of faith if we're going to see lives delivered and souls saved. And may God help us as his people to have faith. Afterwards, we come now to verse number 30. The Lord Jesus Christ and his disciples are along the road. And I want us to read it together, beginning in verse 30. And they departed thence and passed through Galilee. And he would not that any man should know it, for he taught his disciples And said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. But they understood not that saying, and were afraid to ask him. In Mark chapter 8, we have Peter's great confession. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, Whom do men say that I am? And then he asked, most importantly, Who do you say that I am? And Peter confessed Jesus as the Son of God. In chapter 9, as he opens, he reveals his glory to them after they had made this confession. And from here, in Mark's gospel, everything changes course. Up to this point, it is to reveal Jesus Christ as the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, having revealed himself and his disciples having confessed this, he is now leading them down a road to the cross. It is a road of suffering and death. But I'm thankful it doesn't end there, as we just heard saying, then came the morning. Amen. 
And on the third day, Jesus arose victorious over death and hell and the grave. And so Jesus, along the road, is teaching his disciples concerning his death and his resurrection. Verse 32, the Bible tells us they understood not that saying and were afraid to ask him. In verse 33, and he came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, what was it that ye disputed among yourselves by the way? But they held their peace, for by the way they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve and saith unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me receiveth not me, but him that sent me. And John answered him, saying, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and he followeth not us, and we forbade him, because he followeth not us. But Jesus said, Forbid him not, for there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly uh, uh, speak evil of me. For he that is not against us is on our part. For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, because ye belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he were cast into the sea. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. Where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. For it is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that never shall be quenched. Where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell. Where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. For every one shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost his saltness, wherewith will ye reason it, or season it rather? Have salt in yourselves, and have peace one with another. Now here we find the Lord Jesus and his disciples moving now from the place where this young man was delivered of his demon and passing through Galilee. They're going into Capernaum, and when they come into Capernaum, they come into the house. We believe, of course, this to be the house of Peter. This is the house where Jesus assembled. This is the house where we believe that many came when they let down the man born of four through the roof. And so we believe he's come back to that house. And is there there in the house? Uh, it is just the Lord Jesus and his disciples. That is his audience. That is who he is speaking to, to his disciples. And as he speaks to them, he asks them a very important question. 
First of all, we understand he's teaching them a great truth. Look at it in verse 31. For he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. So he's teaching them regarding now his, his death and his resurrection. Notice their response in verse 32. But they understood not that saying and were afraid to ask him. So uh, here we find that there is a question uh, that they have, but it is a question uh, that they are afraid to ask. They're afraid to ask the Lord what he means by this. Of course, he's already tried to tell them, and as we've seen in earlier passages, the disciples are slow learners, and we can identify with them, I would imagine, right? Because uh, oftentimes we're slow learners when it comes to the things of God and knowing God and his plan for our lives. And so they, f- they, they, uh, they fail to understand what he has taught them, and they're afraid to ask him. Now, as they come to Capernaum, he asked them another question. What was it, verse 32, what was it that ye disputed among yourselves by the way? And notice the Bible says, but they held their peace. So uh, we see here uh, there was a question that they would not ask, but now we find a question that they will not answer. They don't want to ask the question because they don't want to look like, hey, we're not getting it. And they don't want to answer this other question because they don't want to to admit to Jesus what they've been disputing about along the way. And what have they been disputing about while he's trying to teach them about his death on the cross? What are they disputing about? Who is greatest? Who is greatest? You know, oftentimes when we are confronted with our own sinfulness, we get uncomfortable, don't we? The uneasiness of accountability for our words and deeds often causes us to be silent and to withdraw, to be solitary. But a disciple is a follower. Remember now, these are the disciples. They are the followers of Jesus. They're the learners of Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple, to be a follower, to be a learner. And here they are confronted with what they had been talking about, but they do not want to admit it, so they become silent. They they want to withdraw. This accountability makes them very uncomfortable. And that is the way many people respond to accountability. We understand, though, the life of the disciple is a life of accountability. If you're a Christian, you, you don't belong to yourself. You belong to him. And, and look, you are, you are not sovereign over your life. Jesus Christ is sovereign over your life. Therefore, you are accountable to God. Oh, every person who will ever live upon the face of this earth or who has ever lived will give an account for himself before his creator. The Bible teaches that very clearly. The Bible says, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. We will all give an account, the Bible says. And so the life of a disciple is a life of accountability. And the disciple's life is marked by reproof. That's being told when you're doing something wrong. By correction. That's not only being told what you're doing wrong, but how to make it right. As as Paul wrote to Timothy, and an instruction in righteousness That's what our lives are marked by as as disciples, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Where I'm wrong, how to get right, and how to stay right. 
That's the accountability. And here we find the Lord Jesus with his disciples, and they're on the road. (laughs) And as they're on the road, he points out to them three dangers, three dangers that all of us must recognize as those who profess to be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to speak to you this morning on the subject, dangers along the road of discipleship. Dangers along the road of discipleship. In our text, there are three dangers that the Lord Jesus Christ uh, calls the attention of his disciples or calls to the attention of his disciples. Number one is the danger of division. Number two is the danger of exclusion. And number three is the danger of of corruption. Now this morning we'll only have time to look at number one, that is the danger of division. In the, this evening we'll look at the danger of exclusion. Next Sunday, God willing, we'll look at the danger of corruption. But let's look first of all this morning at the danger of division. The danger of division. Notice again the Lord Jesus asked his disciples in verse 33, what was it that ye disputed among yourselves by the way, but they held their peace for by the way, they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. They wanted to know what the pecking order was. Who was the top disciple? That's what they were fighting over. That's what they were disputing among themselves. Now, I want you to imagine, Peter, James, and John have been on the mountain of transfiguration. They've seen something the other disciples did not get to see. In fact, those three guys comprised the inner circle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, they comprised the inner circle of the Lord Jesus Christ because they desired to be on the inner circle. And by the way, as we learn, we can get as close to God as we desire to be. If I will draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to me. And so here are three who were close, close to Jesus, the closest of the disciples. And, and maybe perhaps we could hear them talking about what they had seen, although they weren't able to disclose it to the other disciples. Uh, it was evident that the Lord had been on the mountain with those three. It was evident that those three had witnessed something, though they were unable to talk about it. And so maybe and perhaps, and this is just pure speculation, there was some jealousy and some rivalry among the disciples about who was, who was the greatest. Maybe Peter thought it was him. Maybe John thought it was him. Maybe James thought it to be himself. Maybe perhaps Matthew thought, no, it's got to be me. And so we find here that the Lord Jesus Christ, already knowing, he, he asked this question, but not because he needed to know. He already knew the problem. And let me tell you what the problem was. The problem was pride. The problem was pride. And it was a big problem because the Lord Jesus Christ could not allow it to continue unless he addressed it. Because these are his disciples. They are to be uh, the apostles of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are to be the messengers of the gospel after his death and his resurrection. They are to be the ones who, who go into the highways and the hedges and go into the uttermost parts of the earth preaching the gospel. And so the Lord Jesus Christ could not allow this contention and this potential division to continue because these were his disciples. And there's to be no schism in the body, as the apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. And so the Lord Jesus here deals with the problem of their pride and the danger here of division. 
The Bible says in Proverbs 13 and verse 10, only by pride cometh contention. Do you know when churches have problems and, and churches have church splits and we hear about those, don't we? It's because of pride. When, when, when family will not speak to other family members, let me tell you what brings that contention in. Pride. Only by pride cometh contention. And here's the pride of the disciples being manifest as they desire to establish who is the greatest. And no doubt all 12 of them probably thought they were the greatest of all of the others. And so we see how the Lord Jesus Christ deals with this, this danger division. Three ways in which he deals with it. Number one, a probing question. He asks a probing question. What was it ye disputed among the way? Now, I want you to think about the words as they, as they uh, disputed. You know, oh, I'm the greatest. It has to be me. No, no, I'm the one that brought him the little lad with the loaves and the fishes. It has to be me. No, I'm the one that he decided to take up on the mountain. It has to be me. No, I cast out more demons than any of the rest of you guys. It had to be me. Can't you just hear their words as they go about to establish who's the greatest? But in the midst of all their words comes his word. And his word is given in the form of a question. And it is a question that is powerful. It is a question that is convicting. What was it ye disputed among the way? And when he asked that question, it penetrated them to the core. It revealed their hearts. It exposed their motives. It cut them. And by the way, isn't that the ministry of the Word of God? Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12. Or if you write that down in your notes, look it up later, let me read it to you. Hebrews 4 and 12. For the Word of God is quick. That means it's alive. That's what the word quick means. The Word of God is alive, it is living, it and powerful, amen, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Just one word from Jesus was like a sword, it was like a dagger, it was like a, 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 a scalpel in the knife of a surge, in the hand of a surgeon rather. It penetrated the flesh and it revealed the heart, it revealed the sin, it revealed the pride, it, 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 it revealed the arrogance, it, it revealed the covetousness of those disciples. It was all hidden away underneath their flesh, but nevertheless, it resided there. It came out in their mouths as they debated about who would be the greatest, who would be the most prominent, and the Lord Jesus, through a probing question, reveals to them their pride. Nothing threatens a team like disunity. You can have a team filled with great athletes, but if those athletes decide that that game and that season is about them and not about that team, let me tell you what will happen to that team. That team will end up divided, and that team will fall far short of its potential. Let me tell you, there is no team on the face of this earth that has more potential than God's family. 
There is no group of people in Hickory, North Carolina who are meeting today or any other day throughout the week, throughout the years to come, who has more potential to do more good than the family of God, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But let me tell you, when we decide it becomes about us and not about him, when we decide it's only about the choir and not only about Jesus, when we decide it's only about us and not only about Jesus, that's when trouble will come. It will hinder our testimony. It will hinder our effectiveness. We'll lose sight of everything we're doing when we are preoccupied with ourselves. And perhaps the disciples were unable to receive the teaching of the Lord Jesus of Christ because they weren't concerned about what he had to say. No, they were only concerned about themselves and how they could benefit and what they would gain as he would become the king of the Jews, what position they would have, what influence they would have, what power they would have. And so we see this probing question that the Lord Jesus asked, and it makes them very uncomfortable because they don't want to be confronted with the truth of their sin. They don't want to be confronted with the error of their thinking. They just want to go on believing what they think is convenient for them to believe. The danger of division, there was a probing question. Then he deals with it secondly with this, a paradoxical principle. A paradoxical principle. Now, what is a paradox? A paradox is a truth that seems contradictory. It is a truth that seems contradictory. And that's why it is especially uh, something that draws our attention to it. So here the Lord gives us a principle in the form of a paradox statement, one that apparently on the surface seems contradictory, and that therefore draws us to think about what it is he's saying. So let's look at what he said, this paradoxical principle in verse number 35. And he sat down and called the twelve and saith unto them, now notice what he says, here's the principle, here's the paradox, if any man desire to be first, the same shall be, what's the next word, church? If you desire to be first, the same shall be, say it with me, last of all. Last of all. And say the next word, please. Servant of all. Now, what are they disputing about? They're disputing about who's going to be the greatest. I mean, who's going to be the number one man? Who's going to be the Lord Jesus' top assistant? That's what they're disputing about. And the Lord Jesus says, now, wait a minute, fellas. If you desire to be great, let me tell you how to be great. Be last. If you desire to be great, let me tell you how to be great. Don't expect people to serve you. You determine to serve others. In our Christian schools, we go out throughout the days, and I, I notice children in the hallways and children leaving chapel or leaving a classroom. This is what I've noticed in the elementary, at least. This kind of subsides when you get into middle school and high school. Everybody wants to be at the head of the line. And I, it's, it's funny to me, it's amusing to me to watch the teachers manage the eager souls of the children who desire to be at the head of the line. 
because that establishes for them a position of prominence and influence and power, and it makes them feel good about themselves if they're at the head of the line. And by the way, though the middle schoolers don't get as excited about that or the high schoolers, we all have that in us. We all want to be at the head of the line. If you don't believe me, go to the, uh, one of the shopping centers Friday morning after Thanksgiving. And watch them race through the aisles to get something that will be out of style in just a few months. Watch them celebrate as they, as they lift their Cabbage Patch dolls into the air. <laughs> right? You see, this Jew's religion at the day of Jesus and the disciples was, and their culture, not just their religion, but their culture was one that, that, that put a great premium on honor and a great, a great uh, uh, premium on position and standing. In Matthew chapter 6, the Lord Jesus Christ deals with this, and he speaks about those religious leaders who prayed in public, in public places so that people would think well of them. And he said they have their reward. And then they would go about and they would, they would make themselves look like they were mourning and everybody would see that they were fasting. And Jesus said they have their reward. And when they gave their offering, they made sure that everybody saw it. I'm going to put my offering in. And people looked at them and said, well, those those are good people. I mean, they pray, they give their offering, they're fasting. And Jesus said they have their reward. You see, their motive was to be seen of men. Their motive was to receive honor. I want you to go with me to Matthew chapter 23. If you'll turn there just a few pages back. Matthew, Mark, find Matthew chapter number 23 and uh, verse number one, the Lord Jesus is addressing this thought, this culture that was pervasive in the hearts and minds of the people and it was pervasive in the minds of the disciples. Uh, And so we see it in Matthew chapter 23 and verse number one, then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples saying, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. That's a position that's a place of prominence. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. Verse 5. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. Did you see that? Why are they doing it? What's their motivation? To be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries. That's the borders of their garments and and enlarge the borders of their garments. They, They want to be seen. They want people to know they're in positions of leadership. They want people to know they're prestigious. They want people to know they're good Christians. And love the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets and to be called of men, rabbi, rabbi. They love that. It did something for their ego. They like the recognition. Verse 8, but be not ye called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren, and call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. Now notice this verse 11. Here's this paradox. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. 
and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. You see, in the Lord's economy, pride leads to bankruptcy. And humility leads to riches. The Bible teaches us that we are to humble ourselves. The way up is down. And may God help his people, his disciples, who truly want to know him, to learn to humble themselves under the mighty hand of God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12 and verse number 3, as Paul is writing there, he says this, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you. That's to every person. That's what that means. So here's the message. Are you listening? To every person among us, every believer, every Christian, here's what the Lord has to say. He says, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Go with me, if you would, please, 1 Peter chapter 5. Here we find this, Peter, uh, this principle, rather, mentioned again by Peter. 1 Peter chapter number 5. And verse 5, likewise, he says, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5, likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Well, we all believe that, don't we? Problem with young people today, they don't respect their, their parents. They don't respect the older folks. You hear that oftentimes, and that, that sometimes is true, right? I don't believe it's necessarily the case in a, in a place like this, but it certainly is indicative of our, of our culture. And so we would all say, yes, the younger should submit unto the elder. Yea, he goes on to say, all of you be what? Subject to whom? One to another. Do you know what that teaches? That means that not only should the younger be subject to the older, but that means that all of us should be subject one to another. That means all of us should be more concerned about submitting to one another than we are than uh, imposing our way, getting our way, leading people to do what we want done. We should learn to submit to one another. Now notice what he says here. And be clothed. You think we ought to be clothed? I mean, most of you have clothes on. All of you have clothes on, <laughs> thankfully. <laughs> be clothed with what? Humility. What's the garment? Humility. That's, that's the garment I ought to have on this morning, the garment of humility. Uh, that is a garment that doesn't say, look at me. No, that is a garment that says, don't pay any attention to me. To be clothed with humility. For God resisteth what group? The proud. And God giveth grace to the humble. Do you want to be resisted by God or do you want grace? You see, God is speaking to us very clearly. He's, he's laying out for us a principle in the form of a paradox. If we want to be great, if we truly want to be great, then we must become last and become servant. What did Jesus do when he left heaven? He took upon himself the form of a servant, and he humbled himself. Do you remember when the disciples came into the upper room? What did the Lord Jesus do? He girded himself with a towel, and he washed their dirty, dusty feet. The Son of God washed the dirty, dusty feet of the disciples. Are you too good to do that? Then, friend, you're just too good for God to use. He said, if you want to be great, be last. Be last. 
If you want to be great, be a servant, a paradoxical principle. You see, the life of the disciple is a life of humility. It is a life of persecution and death. It is a life of, uh, of, of death, most importantly, to self. That means ambition. That means place. That means status and so much more. The hardest lesson that we have to learn is the lesson of death to self and being yielded to God. Would you submit yourself to him? Would you humble yourself? Do you know that pride is an ugliness that repels people? But humility is a beautiful beautiful ornament that attracts people. And when a Christian or when a church has an arrogant spirit, a spirit of pride, do you know what people find that to be? Repulsive. But when a church and a Christian have a spirit of humility, do you know what people find? They find that's an attractive place. I want to know more about their Savior. And may God help us to be humble people. Humble people. Now, he's dealing with division. He can't allow this division to go on. And this division only comes by pride. And so he asked this probing question. What are you guys talking about over there? He knew, didn't he? He knew what was in their hearts. Oh, nothing, nothing. Oh, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Let me tell you how I know what you're talking about. I want you to sit down and listen to me. If anybody desires to be first, the same should be last. And servant of all. There's that paradoxical principle. And then he closes this with a powerful picture. Would you look at it with me? A powerful picture. He's going to illustrate this truth. And he's going to do so in a powerful way. I want you to go back with me, if you would, please, to Mark chapter number 9. And notice this beautiful picture that the Lord Jesus Christ uh, uses to illustrate this truth to his disciples, this lesson of humility. We see it here in verse number 36. And he took a child. He took a child. What's he going to use to illustrate this? A child. We could walk into the nursery. We could take one of the little babies, maybe one of the little toddlers that's just walking, and we could bring him into this assembly. And Jesus took that little child and brought him in. He said, hey, all you hot shots, you gather around here. All you top dogs, I want you to sit down here. You see this little fella? And then he took him up into his arms. He took that little boy, that little girl, whatever, whatever it was, he took that child into his arms. Notice what he says. When he had taken him up, so it's a little boy, when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, verse 37, Whosoever shall receive one such children in my name receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me receiveth not me, but him that sent me. Now, he's going to draw a parallel. Let's follow his logic. Receive the child, he says. Receive this little, this little boy, then you're receiving me. 
Reject the child, you're rejecting me. Receive the child, you're receiving me. But not only are you receiving me, who else are you receiving? You're receiving the Father. You're receiving him that sent me. Now, if you want to receive me, Jesus says, you have to receive this child. If you want to reject me, then reject this child. And by the way, when you reject that child, you reject me, you reject the Father. And so he uses a powerful picture. I want you to go with me to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew, dealing with this same thought and this same illustration, gives us a little light that I think will help us. Matthew chapter number 18. At the same time, Matthew chapter 18 and verse number 1, at the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Well, they just can't get this off their mind, can they? And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. So here the Lord Jesus Christ not only admonishes the disciples to receive one as a little child, but he, he admonishes them to humble themselves and become as a little child. Now, let's, let's go back now to Mark 9. Here are the disciples, and they're arguing and disputing about who's going to be the greatest because Jesus is the Messiah, and they're going to have a place of prominence in the kingdom. And this is inbred in them. This is ingrained in them because this is the culture of the Jews and the religion of the Jews at that time. So this is the way they think. And Jesus said, wait a minute, you guys got it all wrong. Look at this little child. Do you see him? What is he? He's helpless. He's dependent. He's, he's in some measure innocent, right? Uh, we know that if we deal with them very long, they're not altogether innocent. But in some measure, he's innocent. He has nothing to offer me. I cannot benefit from him. He cannot help me achieve my goals. He cannot help me accomplish the status that I so long to have. He is a little helpless child. What must I do? I must receive him. Now, let me explain this to you. All of us, and this is the truth of this, there's no doubt it is a very practical and a very real application, but let me also say this to you. All of us who know God are the children of God. The Bible says, and as many as believed him, John chapter 1 and verse 12, to as many as believed him, to them gave he the power to become what? The sons of God. When John wrote to the believers, in his epistles, how did he address the church? Little children. What is the truth here? The truth is that God's people, those who know the Lord Jesus Christ, are all on even footing. We are not to strive about who is to be the greatest. We are to receive one another and to treat one another equally in the eyes of the Lord and in his presence. And so this is a very powerful picture I want to close in 3 John, if you'll go there with me. 
as John writes to his little children or the, those who've come to faith in Christ, Third John, find the book of Revelation and just move back a page or two. You'll be in Third John. Third John in verse 9. He says, I wrote unto the church. I wrote unto the church. But Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them. What's the next word? Finish it, would you? Receiveth us not. This guy, Diotrephes, he got in the church. He decided it was his church. <laughs> By the way, you decide, the day you decide it's your church and not Jesus, that's the day you're in trouble, friend. Diotrephes decided it was his church, and he didn't want somebody like Paul around or John around or any of those disciples around because Diotrephes, he sort of liked being the main guy. He liked having influence. He, he liked having power. He liked, he liked it that his opinion was weighty. And so the Bible says he loved to have the preeminence among them. And because of that, he receiveth us not. Do you know what Diotrephes did? He rejected the Lord's little children. And when he rejected the Lord's little children, do you know who else he rejected? Oh, you know, he rejected Jesus. And do you know who else he rejected? He rejected the Father. Well, friend, if we're going to be disciples, we need to be aware of the danger along the road to discipleship. And that's division. And that division is caused by pride. And may God, by his Spirit, help us to humble ourselves before him. May God help us to understand that this thing is not about us as individuals. It's all about him. May God help us to learn from his example that we might say, hey, I don't want to be first, I'll be last. I don't want to be served, I want to serve. I can think of no greater illustration this morning, and the people in the nursery are going to love me for this but the nursery. How much of a servant are you willing to be? I imagine that's measured by your willingness to serve in the nursery because that's where the little children are, to wipe their noses and to change their diapers, to help them when they're disputing over the toys. And I think, you know, sometimes... And I'm not talking about people who have physical ailments or who don't have the same strength and ability to do that, but I'm talking about people who are unwilling. Say, yeah, that's just not for me. But that's what the Lord Jesus called his disciples to do. Hey, boys, you want to be great? Go work in the nursery. Is it not what he said? And may God help us as his people to humble ourselves, to avoid this danger of division. 
Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.